This is Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Phil Coover, a partner in Ice Miller's Real Estate Practice Group. Today, we have two great guests uh, and a co-host, LaTanya Ellis, my, my colleague at Ice Miller. LaTanya, thank you for co-hosting with us. Absolutely a pleasure, as always. And we'll get into uh, your new role here in, in a few minutes, but I want to announce our feature guest, Nicole White. Nicole, thank you for very much for coming on the show. It's a privilege. Thank you for having me. And so Nicole and I are classmates, DePaul, class of 2007 in the house. Yeah, yeah. And, the uh, demons. <laughs> that's right. Good, good basketball team this year. Uh, better than years past. And so I wanted, I'm just super excited to have one of my classmates who just uh, was recently promoted to chief legal officer and corporate secretary of Avis and Young. Uh, congratulations. It's really awesome. I, I'm happy for DePaul and for all of our classmates that, that you got to step into this role. No, I'm, I'm very excited. It still feels a little bit surreal um, for sure, but I am beyond grateful for the trust and the confidence that our management team has placed in me. So I, um, I hope, I hope I don't disappoint. No, no, I'm just, they, they trusted you for a reason. You were, it was obvious from the first day of law school that you were going to, going places you I thought you might be like part of the faculty you just see everyone's in there just the first day just trying to introduce themselves and you just seem to just kind of know what you were doing already mm. like you're just like you're like that girl knows what she's doing the rest of us are trying to figure it out it, it's funny to and I laugh because you know I think back to that same time period of course and I'm sure just like all the rest of, of you you have no idea what you're doing and what you're stepping into. And, and there's a, a tremendous amount of, I think, fear and trepidation about what that next, um, those next three years will look like. So I, I'm, I'm just tickled that, that somehow I gave off some other impression, but, um, but I appreciate, appreciate that reflection nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's good to present that even if you're not thinking it in your head. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. And then also, Latanya, who's also been a co-host on this podcast before, uh, she's recently had a great new role at our firm, Director of Legal Operations and Knowledge Management at Ice Miller. Uh, Latanya, can you tell us a little bit about that role and, and your, what all you're going to do for us and for our clients? Oh, absolutely. So a few weeks ago, the firm approached me about a new opportunity uh, that was extremely unique for our firm. And it gave me an opportunity to leverage my experience as a Lean Six Sigma Black Belt, practicing attorney, as well as my in-house experience in a corporate environment, uh, managing outside legal counsel and cost reduction programs. They said, listen, we have a new opportunity uh, to hire you as director of legal ops and manage, uh, knowledge management attorney. And are you open? So talk about having to pivot and think about, okay, this is a, this is a new opportunity and it's, it's a different space, but it's a space that builds upon things that I've already have done. So I just jumped at it. Uh, I think I called you Phil and said, here's the new opportunity. Um, and, and it's just one of those things being nimble and taking a risk and doing something different that we all have to do in our career. Um, but it's, it's exciting. So uh, it has the operational side of it. So again, I'm working to strengthen our cross-functional alignment 
um, with the firm's strategic goals and then the attorneys uh, within the groups and their practice group goals. Uh, I'm looking to improve the knowledge management for our firm, um, also looking uh, to increase the IT support. We know IT is everything, um, not only in a firm environment, but in any environment. And just really uh, working with IT to create those efficiencies, synergies, and best practices that create an ease to our clients and an ease of process and efficiencies. And then um, just working to overall from an operational standpoint uh, point to improve our delivery um, methods and service to our clients, which is exciting and something that I have been doing as a practice group director, but it gives me a very broader scale to look across all of the groups and provide those efficiencies for the firm. And then I think the second piece is the most exciting piece, and that's the business servicing services and consulting arm. So not only working with our existing clients, but it, broaching on new client relationships to do um, management solutions, um, legal solutions. So creating that 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 arm of servicing to our, our clients that may have in-house teams that are stretched extremely thin and providing, you know, document review, drafting, um, workplace investigations, staffing, all those types of things that uh, the in-house teams are often tasked with doing, outsourcing those services, and then client technology solutions are another arm of the role and um, training and development. And then, of course, my favorite, vendor cost reduction. Why do I want to look at reducing legal costs <laughs> and being a lawyer? But it's something that I've, I've done and the firm trusts me to say, hey, listen, our clients, we're not the only firm that they work with. So how about pro providing a service to them, looking at what they're spending on legal and looking at those scopes of work and creating opportunities for efficiencies because you've, you've done that. So that is kind of the role in a nutshell. I'm excited about it. And um, hopefully I'll be able to be impactful. Yeah, no, I'm sure you will be. I'm sure you will be. Let's not try to decrease those legal costs too much though. You know, let's... <laughs> Kidding. Light joke, light joke. Uh, but you used to do that with, with Verizon, I know, when you're yes. in your role there. Um, so you've done it for some really large publicly traded companies. And you both have some some synergies in your roles in that as chief legal officer of a very large real estate company, Nicole, I'm sure you it's part of your role probably to manage projects and to manage both your in-house and your outside teams. And so you know it's you've risen to a level where you're not just getting an, a legal assignment like I might and just trying to accomplish one assignment, but you're like, you're thinking big picture about how do we get yeah. um, projects done and do it efficiently. Yep. Well, tell us about Avis and Young, just big, big picture. Um, you know, we've had a lot of the big real estate companies on this podcast. We haven't had the pleasure uh, yet. So, uh, you know, tell our listeners about the company. Yeah, happy to. So um, again, I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity um, to to be here with you today, and frankly, just to have an opportunity to reconnect with you. I know we spoke uh, several weeks ago, but it's always, I think, gratifying to be able to reconnect with the people that we kind of came into um, the legal profession with, and we started out as baby lawyers, and just having you know an opportunity to look across at all the great things that we're all doing. It's just Truly remarkable. So thank you again, Phil, for the invitation. Um, so I've been at Avis and Young for about seven years now. And to be honest with you, I didn't know a lot about commercial real estate when I came um, to this opportunity. But 
Avis and Young is probably the largest and fastest growing privately held commercial real estate services company. Um, we're a, a global a real estate services firm. Um, but what really differentiates us from our peers is that we're owned and operated by our principals. So it's a very different model than what a lot of our um, peer companies have, um, where you have sort of leadership management teams at the top that um, control the, the, the strategy and the direction of the company, um, the policies, and those things then get pushed down. Um, at Avis and Young, our principals we have about 650 or so uh, principals within our global firm. And those are the individuals who um, govern the direction of the company and make decisions about um, its future and its evolution. Um, one of the things that I would say we do particularly well vis-a-vis um, -vis our, our peer companies is that we have a, um, a deep focus on data and technology and consultative solutions. I think We've seen um, through this pandemic more than anything that a lot of our clients are really sort of pivoting and looking at their occupancy strategies and figuring out um, what the future of the office will be and how that um, how they can adapt and evolve their strategies to reflect that. So that's something that um, we've got tremendous consultative um, solutions and teams that focus on those types of strategies that have been able to leverage data and technology to help our clients um, think through what this next phase of their evolution um, and office strategy will look like. So um, it's been a great seven, almost seven years now. And um, yeah, we're very excited about the future. As you should be. I mean, it really is an amazing growth story. I mean, I was Thinking about this, I was preparing for the podcast. Uh, you know, Wikipedia says it was founded in '96. You know, sometimes that's the, the, those facts aren't always right. But you know, in 25, 27 years, it's it's been founded. Now you have offices. If you look at the website, all over the world, um, many nationally and then even more internationally. Um, it's just you know, how do you think it's Avis and Young is doing it? How is it growing? Like I was. I've been a two been a part of three firms, two of which were including Ice Miller that were growth focused, and you know it's hard to add offices and to add. Uh, you know, so I, you have different strategies as to whether you place people and then found an office or whether you do it through mergers and acquisitions. It's um, you know what, what's been the strategy and how have you guys gotten to this size in such a relatively short period of time? Yeah, I would say. Um... <sighs> It's, it's definitely been an evolution, that's for sure. You know, we started as um, three small private um, Canadian companies that came together and amalgamated to form um, the Avis and Young brand. And since that time, you know, we have grown throughout all of the U.S. and um, now throughout the U.K. and um, the rest of Europe and Mexico and that growth is primarily driven by um, mergers and acquisitions. Um, I think that's probably contributed most significantly to our growth. But we also do quite a bit of hiring um, and growth laterally from other um, commercial real estate companies within the industry. And, you know, it's we we are incredibly thoughtful. Right. We don't want to grow just for growth's sake. We want to be very strategic about where we're growing and where we're expanding and aligning 
our market and our growth strategy with um, where we think the most opportunities are for the future of real estate. Um, it's been very, very rapid growth for sure. And, you know, one of the things that I think we are also focusing on is um, in the midst of that growth, making sure we're operationalizing our business, because what can happen with rapid growth is that um, one, your infrastructure doesn't necessarily grow and keep pace with that. So you want to make sure you've got the right infrastructure in place to support that growth. Um, the other thing that I think we're probably hypersensitive to as well is the culture. And that is one of our, I would say another one of our key differentiators is that we're a very culture driven company. Um, you know, I think it's been said that culture eats strategy for breakfast every day of the week. And that couldn't be more true, certainly at Avis and Young. And so we take great pride in our culture. It's a very collaborative, um, collegial culture. We have what's called the NAR rule, um, and people laugh when, when we talk about that within our walls, but that's known as the no asshole rule. And so it's something that we take great pride in being um, a group of people and professionals that you enjoy working with um, that don't just bring the skills and the discipline to bear, but also those interpersonal skills and relationships that really bring to light and enhance, um, I think, just sort of the skills um, and the resources that we bring to bear as well. So it's a great culture. And that's also something that I think we have been hypersensitive to as we continue to grow, making sure that um, the opportunities, the growth opportunities, the people that would be joining our business really do um, match and fit with our culture and will continue to help us um, drive that forward. Yeah, no, I, I think you've, this is, this is what I want to get into. So I'm so glad you, you led with the culture and you're so casually said, well, we've recruited people over from competing firms and you may sound casual, but that's really hard to do to grow that way. Cause you have to figure out how do I get people to leave their other firms and come over. And, you know, recently Forbes recognized Davidson Young as one of America's best employers. And I, I wanted both of you to be on this podcast. Latanya has been our practice group director, and she's really focused on culture. And um, you know, I was telling her that she's got this great sense for strategy, but also to help people on an individual level, which is hard to have that range of kind of like big picture growth, but also helping people individually. And you have the the background in human resources and being an employment lawyer by trade. Um, not to put you in, you know, that that box or to define your your scope originally, but but I, you must have thought a lot, and you're probably gonna, you know, I'm gonna say like you're probably a huge part of that culture because you've been working in human resources. Now you're the chief legal officers. Um, you've probably spent a ton of time focusing on that both here and at your prior employment, and so I wanted to talk to you about, you know, how do you help create a culture and help help think about those things that would create an environment where people want to come work here as opposed to somewhere else? Yeah, it's a great question. And to be, to be sure, I think culture is very difficult to, um, to cultivate when you're growing. Um, it can be incredibly difficult. And, but I think, 
it's really a top down um it's a top down approach right it starts with leadership and it starts with a leader who has a vision that um, really sets the tone for the rest of our organization. And so we've been really fortunate. Mark Rose, who's our chairman and CEO, if you've never met him, he has such a big and dynamic personality. Um, He is someone that truly takes to heart just how you treat people and putting people before profits. And that's something that is not always valued, particularly, I think, in our industry. Um, I think there's always been, you know, a a focus on making money and driving revenue and all of those things are important. But I think when you have a leader that recognizes that, um, yes, it's important to drive revenues and to, to put up good numbers, but those are some of the things that come natural when you have created a culture where people want to come to work every day and bring their best selves and bring their true and authentic um, selves into the workplace. And so that's something that Mark has done a tremendous job of cultivating. I would say that he is also a bit of a a visionary because um, there are a lot of topics and issues that Mark has taken on and taken to heart long before it was in vogue with the rest of the industry or even the workforce at large. And I think that is something that has also been extremely attractive about our firm. Um, when you look at others coming over from some of the bigger shops within the industry, um, I think there are a lot of people who have been uh, frustrated by the lack of involvement that they feel they have, the um, have not having a voice that they feel has been heard, and recognizing that this is a place where we bring every voice to the table. Um, particularly for those individuals that are partners, being able to have a say in the future and the direction and the strategy of the company. I think that alone cultivates a certain type of culture of inclusion. And that really does trickle down throughout the rest of the organization. You know, the other thing I think that's really important is making sure that that culture truly does trickle down through every layer of the organization. And that can also be a big challenge, right? If you have a leader with the vision and it gets pushed down to management, sometimes it can get lost if you have members of management that aren't really bought into that. And so the other thing that I think Mark has done really well is really taken a um, critical look at his management and leadership team and making sure that it reflects the values that he wants Um, pushed down throughout the rest of the organization. And one of the things we did this year to really, or I should say last year, to really measure whether or not we've been successful is we launched our first engagement survey. And this was intended to measure the level of engagement or disengagement within our organization throughout all of our global offices. And for a first-time engagement survey, I think we had about a 67% rate of completion, which is pretty high. I think anything over 60% they've told us is is pretty extraordinary. Um, So we had about a 67% rate of completion. And the results, I think, were pretty astounding. There was uh, a significant level of, of engagement. But even where there were pockets of disengagement, I think the feedback was incredibly enlightening for us to be able to evaluate. These are the areas where our culture is most at risk. Um, and we need to figure out a strategy to address those areas, you know, before before it's too late. Yeah, no, thank you. Latanya, I'd love to hear your thoughts on culture as well. What Nicole was just saying about 
I love the way you phrase that because that's exactly what Latanya had when she was pitching me to recruit me to come over to Ice Miller is don't focus. Some companies <laughs> focus just on profits and revenues. And she's like, Ice yeah. Miller is a place that will focus on empowering people. And then the money comes from there. Like you just, you put, you put people in good positions to succeed and then the revenues come yeah. rather than focus on the money and kind of let the people that are, uh, not playing nice with others that, but are still performing well, do, you know, do their thing. But like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's focus on good people being nice to each other, helping each other. And then the revenues all come from there. That was, that was our lunch, you know, two and a half years ago or two years ago. That was so. our lunch. That was our lunch. Absolutely. You know, I agree with everything Nicole said, and, and I look at it like this growth uh, is revenue producing, having a great culture is revenue sustaining. Yeah, And so you have to, you absolutely have to lead with people first and have people trust you. Trust is everything in culture and having the messaging consistent throughout all layers of management uh, is key. Just like you said, you know, Nicole. And so it's, it's been my experience with leading people is to really, you have to know um, that you breed culture each and every day when you walk in. People look at you. You have to lead by example. How you show up is what sets the tone for the organization as a leader in the, in the organization. And, and that's important in recruiting. You know, we, we love to say in, in the legal field, we, we don't hire. We have the no asshole rule, but <laughs> we try. We try. Um, but there's no guarantees. But again, people look at how you show up as your true self each and every day. And that's what they look at as the barometer of what the culture of an organization is. Mm -hmm. So really focusing on how people can be their true authentic selves and really promote the culture of the firm is something that I focus on every day. And what you focus on will be your strength. If culture is your strength, uh, is your focus, it will be your strength. And I remember at prior firms, uh, that I've worked at with it, when you're in the business ops role, the first thing you think about is leading with statistics, right? This is what you, you've done today, or this is what you've done this year. And so people really, when you come in and open up that laptop and you want to go over numbers, people don't feel that you're looking at or recognizing their contributions as a person. And so it's so important to say, yes, the numbers are important, but our people are much more important. And that is our focus. And when, like we said before, lead the people, have the people trust you, and the profits will automatically follow. People will give you everything they possibly can if they believe in your vision as a leader. And that's how you show up too. So mm -hmm. I, I'm thankful that I'm at a firm and, and working with people that put culture first. And that's where when you can grow and lateral in talent, uh, great talent that will stay, even in this artificial kind of environment where everyone is paying much more for folks to, to, to recruit talent. People stay for the reasons that I just said. They may not, you know, make the most that they could go across the street and make 50000 or 100000 more, but they believe in the culture of this firm. They believe that we're going to do what we say we're going to do, and they believe that we will grow responsibly, and we'll take them along the way. We make them a part of that vision. Absolutely. I was thinking about culture 
recently because uh, I keep on getting these emails from young attorneys that are saying, I'm going to take a vacation and I'll be out these days. But I'll also be checking emails in the morning and responsive. And, you know, I want to be like, no, you, you don't actually. If you're taking a vacation, you can take a vacation. And I think what I realized I was going to do, uh, what I realized yesterday is I'm going to do, I'm going to send out an email with my vacation schedule and I'm going to say I'm not going to be available. And I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, unless there's an absolute emergency. But I think, but it comes from the top, like I have to say it as the partner that I'm going to be taking the time in order to give them the confidence that they yeah. need to say, I yes. will also be taking the time off. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, even yeah. though it's real super hard to do it, especially when you feel like you're the person, you know, ultimately responsible to the client to, um, but you, you have to do what's, you have to set the example or they won't, they won't be able to, they won't feel comfortable doing it. Absolutely. I love that, Phil, because that's certainly not, at least when we came into the legal profession, that was not, um, the norm. And in fact, if you weren't making yourself available at every hour of the day, every day of the week, whether it was vacation or family time, then you were not really invested. And I love that there's this shift in terms of how we um, value people's time and how that plays into what we understand to be people's overall wellness. That's important. If we want people to do their best work, we have to appreciate how important it is for people to have those periods where they can unplug and focus on something that really lights them up. And most of the time it's not work and that's okay. (laughs) Nicole, that's so true. During, During the pandemic, that was just in leading teams, people had to have balance. They had to be able to unplug. And I think I experienced more than I've ever seen the need for people to say, hey, I need a minute. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm not available. Hey, I have all these things going on. And you have to be able to do that yep. and and allow uh, allow your, your workforce to, to do that and, and focus on those things, like you said, yeah. that they feel they enjoy doing mm-hmm. or even call someone and have a conversation. How are you doing? Yeah. How are things going outside of the work? Absolutely. Because these times are so unprecedented. And we, we, as we continue to move through them, it's taught us a lot of lessons that we're going to take with us about how we lead people, what we should value as leaders and, 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 and how we should lead our organizations. But you're so right about that. Balance is every, and especially for millennials and the generations coming after, mm-hmm. they teach us balance. Okay. Yes. Like, <laughs> They they they, they demand us. it and they teach it to us. They and, do, and I am you know I, I'm grateful for that. I yes. really am. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad you phrased you both said it that way. That they teach it to us because it's something we all as human beings need. They're just more aware of the need yeah. and um, you know are able to to say what they need and make us realize that we all need that. I mean, how how was it, Nicole? I think ever just over the past two years, uh, you know, being on the human resources function, just working with so many employees. I'm sure you see a lot of things that you can't share with us, um, but just you know, what sort of challenges have you seen this past two years? I, my wife and I also, DePaul, 07 along, you know, she's an employment lawyer uh, in the healthcare space right now. We were just talking about how. We're, we just happened to be looking at the 
a couple pictures from like April of 2020 uh, came up like in our Facebook feed. And we're, we're talking about what a, what a trauma those first few months mm -hmm. were, you know, we're, oh, how yeah. scary that was. Um, oh, yeah. Now we're all a little bit more accustomed to it. But, you know, we we're just talking about just even using the word trauma to realize what had happened mm -hmm. to all of us that we haven't really yep. grasped. Um, you know, just how has the, the past two years been with, uh, with, you know, looking out for the human resources and growing company and trying to assimilate people, trying to uh, allow people the space to figure out how to handle what's happened to them? Um, how's it been? Yeah, I would say um, it's been enlightening, to say the least. And I think it's been enlightening in the sense that, and, and we actually just put out a report recently called the X Factor Report. And we looked at a very interesting phenomenon that's occurring right now in the workforce, which is that you have five different generations in the workforce today at the same time. Mm. And we all experienced the pandemic differently based upon some of the um, experiences of each generation and expectations of each generation. So we all experienced the pandemic a lot differently. And I think, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think the millennials, Gen X, there's a lot, a great sense of, wow, I realize that there is more to life than work. And there are things that I need to be focusing on for myself and my happiness and wellness and sustainment. I think you had, um, you know, some of the, the baby boomer generation and, you know, some of the other generations who maybe didn't see that, right? Um, and they've, and to be fair to them, that's just not the way they were trained and how they've operated. But coming out of that are very different expectations. So I think what we've seen in our workforce and across many of our clients is that these sort of younger generations are saying, I don't want to be in the office five days a week. I want flexibility. Um, I want to have the option to be remote and to craft my schedule around my life and my needs. Um, you have a lot of the older generations that are saying, yeah, we still think people should be here five days a week. And when I'm working with junior folks, I expect them to be here to provide the level of support um, that I need. And so there is definitely, I think, a natural tension that exists and having to sort of equalize that and figuring out how we create that balance and, and um, help everyone to adjust their expectations accordingly. One of the things we did is we rolled out our customized work options at Avis and Young. So that is a new policy that looks at really meeting people where they are. There's no one size fits all approach. And so there are a range of different customized work options that people can choose from, whether it's a flex schedule where they're working four days a week instead of five and more hours you know, on those four days, or they're working some sort of part-time or they're working remote. So they're a hybrid um, in the office remote um, partially throughout the week. There are a range of different options that people can choose from. And so we have found that that has been of great value to people and something that people have really very much appreciated. But there's still a challenge, right? Because you see more of the younger generation taking advantage of that hybrid schedule and then folks that they may work with who, you know, who are a little older or who are used to having people there every day and used to that FaceTime saying, well, gee, if I don't see this person here, are they really working? 
And so really helping people shift and adjust their their mindsets and expectations, I think, has been uh, very critical. And um, it's something that I think we're all working through and navigating together. But I will tell you, for for me, my husband and I, we have two young children. So when the pandemic started, I think they were uh, five and three. And my husband's also an attorney and he works, you know, also very long hours. And so leading up to the pandemic, we were commuting into downtown Chicago every day, five days a week. And between our commute and the time that we spent in the office, we were away from home 12 hours. So that was 12 hours that our kids were in daycare every day. And we actually noticed um, our son, our youngest, our three-year-old was having, at the, right before the pandemic started, he was starting to have um, some emotional issues and just some things we couldn't quite pinpoint what was happening, but he was having these kind of breakdowns at school every day. He was fine at home, but at school and daycare, just completely, um, you know, broken down, distraught, tantrums. And, you know, we had tried all these different things and looked at all these different potential root causes. And then finally, we kind of got to a place where the school was suggesting, you know, you know, we have him evaluated for, you know, a range of different things. And so we were kind of thinking through what that would look like. And then, of course, the shutdown happens. And so our focus shifted to the pandemic and what's going on with that. But we very quickly noticed within a few weeks that he was having no issues whatsoever. And eventually, I would say about a month or two passed, and my husband and I kind of looked at each other and we said, have you noticed what a complete change in his disposition there's been? And I asked him, I said, why do you think that is? And he said, I think he just missed us. He wanted to spend more time with us. And so now fast forward two years later, we, my husband is now, his firm is not yet back, back into the office, but even when they do go back, it will be a hybrid arrangement, but he's home um, every day. I am home. I'm in a hybrid role. So I'm home, you know, a few days a week and, in the office a few days, but our kids will never go back to being in school or daycare or, or outside childcare 12 hours a day, because that taught us a very valuable lesson that even though they couldn't articulate how important that time was with us, it was really meaningful. And it was meaningful for me too, as a working mom, um, to be able to feel like I'm able to meet the needs of my family and not just the needs of my employer. That was very important to me, um, to feel like I could continue on in the workforce. I know a lot of women stepped away from the workforce during the pandemic, um, but I was very grateful to work for a company that really valued all of the identities that I have, one of them in the most important of which to me is being a mom. And they've never asked me to, um, to put my family second. In fact, when I was stepping into the, the CLO role, um, it was late last year and I had um, lunch with our CEO and my daughter, I brought her along because he happened to be in town and it was a Saturday. So he's like, let's meet for lunch. And so I brought her with me and um, we had lunch. And so he asked me at the end, he said, so are you ready? Are you excited about, you know, kind of stepping into this new role? And I said, I'm extremely excited and looking forward to taking, you know, some time off at the end of the year just to kind of prepare, because I know when the new year starts, my life is going to change. And he said, absolutely not. And he pointed to my daughter and he said, she will always be your first priority and that should never change. And that is not just something that has been said to me, but something that has been demonstrated to me. 
as well. And I think that we have all learned so much um, throughout the pandemic and it has shifted our mindset in a, in a very positive way. That's and that's awesome. culture displayed at its finest. Yeah. Right there. That's where yeah. you see a company's culture displayed. That's beautiful. Yeah. And, and you're going to stay for a very long time, you know, even when somebody tries to uh, throw a huge bag of money at you, you know, you'll remember that lunch and you'll remember that. Thank you for sharing all that with you, with us. You know, my, my wife and I have a similar story. Um, I, I can't tell as eloquently as you just did, but, <laughs> you know, as two, two working lawyers of, of children, I've really greatly appreciated all the ex- additional time I've been able to have at home. Yeah. You know, I, I know we I want to be respectful of your time. I know you've got it. So, but can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your you were at Allstate for a long time as well, your decision to come over here and how you, you made it to chief legal officer. I think that'll be a great uh, story to end on. If you yeah. That's for us. Well, I, I went to Allstate um, right out of law school, which was a little unique at that time to go into an in-house role. But um, it was really kind of how the cards aligned. There was nothing about insurance in particular that I really felt drawn to, but it was really the people. I had interned there, had a great experience and loved the work that I got exposed to. So it felt like a natural fit for me when I came out of law school. And I spent um, a little over eight years there. It was a great, great place to kind of learn and be trained and developed. Um, But I, I did reach a point eventually where I felt like I had maxed out on growth. Um, It's not that there weren't more opportunities, but there was a very large law department that was very top heavy. Most of the lawyers were much more senior than I was. And so I knew that um, opportunities to take on some of that more complex work would be limited. I found myself, I was talking to our general counsel um, at the time, Michelle Mays, um, and she was a mentor to me as well. And I remember telling her that I felt like I was being um, complacent in some respects. Like I was very comfortable with the work that I was doing. I felt like I could come in and do that job with my eyes closed. And she said to me, you know, if you're comfortable, you're not growing. And that was probably one of the biggest nuggets that I've taken with me throughout my career. And it really resonated with me. Um, and as much as I loved the Allstate family and the, the, the leaders and people that I was really fortunate to work with, I knew that if I wanted to grow and advance my career, that I was going to have to step out of my comfort zone. And so I started giving some thought to um, what it would look like to think about other opportunities, but I was still very, you know, gun shy. I was like, I, I can't, you know, apply for a job I, that would just feel, uh, I was actually one of those people um, who was very much kind of loyal and wedded to a company. Um, and a lot of the people at Allstate had been there for 30 years. So that was kind of not beyond the norm. But um, one day a job posting came across for the position at Avis and Young. It, it was part of like one of those um, email blasts that you get from some of those, um, you know, bar associations and things like that. And I saw it and I thought, well, that sounds very interesting, but I don't think I'm quite ready to move yet. Um, about a week later, another friend sent me the same posting and said, hey, I saw this and I immediately thought about you. This job sounds like it was written for you. Um, what do you think? And I said, oh, I, I did see it. I'm just not sure I'm ready to, to make a move yet. And then within a few days, a third friend um, sent me the same posting. 
And I'm, I'm, I think I've mentioned this to you guys when we talked before, but I am, I'm a very spiritual person. I had spent a lot of time, you know, praying about my career and just kind of next steps. And that to me felt like God was hitting me over the head saying, you know, I'm, I'm trying to show you something here. And so I really, um, that was, I think, the final straw for me. So I did get in contact with the hiring manager who ended up being my boss, Bob Slaughter, and the rest is history. We had a great introductory conversation. I learned so much about the company, the industry, and just um, Mark Rose, our CEO's vision for the future of commercial real estate. And I was completely blown away. It, it was full of innovation and insight and just something that I thought was... Uh, you know, very much what I needed to align my future and next opportunity with. So I came over to AY and I would say from the very beginning, everyone poured into me from Bob, who was my boss at the time, to um, our head of human resources, Pam Mazza. She was kind of my primary internal client, but we built a very deep and personal rapport as well. Mark Rose, our CEO, everyone was incredibly generous with investing in me. And over the years, as I developed and demonstrated um, just an aptitude for for success within our company, they just kept putting new opportunities in front of me and giving me new opportunities to stretch and grow myself. And so, you know, I would say, you know, there were about a few years ago when um, Bob came to me and said that at some point in the future, he didn't say when he would be stepping aside and that he wanted me to to step into his role as chief legal officer. And I thought to myself, wow, that sounds like a, a great opportunity. And I'm, you know, I'd be beyond happy to do it. And in my mind, I told myself, hopefully that's five years down the line, because there's no way I'm I'm ready for for that that job. But life is funny and you never know when opportunities are going to come your way and you never know when you're really truly prepared um, for such an opportunity. And so it's been, I would say, the opportunity of a lifetime, to be honest with you. I've only been in the role of a month, but I already feel like I have um, a tremendous opportunity that I've never had before to be able to bring a different voice and perspective to the conversation is something that people actually invite and want. And to be able to lead a very dynamic group of lawyers across kind of all of our geographic offices, um, to be able to learn from them and their expertise, it's just been nothing short of extraordinary. So I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity. And we'll have to reconnect in another year or so to see how, to see, see how things are going. Yeah, absolutely. You're, uh, we'll definitely do that. Thanks for sharing that story. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And, um, you know, one thing that I've noticed about you that I think uh, you know, speaks volumes of you is you you really go out of your way on LinkedIn. Uh, so I'm sure you do this internally uh, to just to praise others and to lift others up. And um, I really appreciate that about you. There's there's a few other people I know in this world that does that and you take time out of your day to lift others up and I'm sure that 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 goodwill and good karma you're putting on out there in the world is um, giving you helped give you this opportunity and uh, we're all very proud of you from our class and thanks so much for being on the show oh, thank you so much Phil and Latanya very very uh, grateful to be able to be here with you today 
This publication is intended for general information purposes only and does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. The listener should consult with legal counsel to determine how laws or decisions discussed herein apply to the listener's specific circumstances.